Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius on a Monzo Victory Monday. I am John Ledyard from PewterReport.com. With me today on the show is Casey Hudson of PewterReport.com. We're actually kind of excited about this show, Casey, despite the fact that the Bucks were losers yesterday because today is the day where we get to take everything, all the overreaction and all the stuff people talked about, all the venting from last night's post-game podcast, which if you haven't listened to and you need to hit pause on this one, go back and listen to yesterday's, last night's podcast, vent it all out, get it out of your system, because today we're looking at everything, we're pulling back the layers on all the ugliness, the five to seven worst things about the Bucks this season. And we're saying, are they sustainable or are they not sustainable moving forward for this franchise? So I'm excited about it. Have you recovered from what you saw in yesterday's performance? Somewhat. I'm excited about it too, though, because I think it's therapeutic. Like we got to react yesterday. Now we get to kind of dive in a little bit further. Look at the things that we may have overreacted on or, you know, doesn't need as much attention or might need more attention. So this is, this is the good part right here. I have calmed down a lot more since yesterday. <laughs> I started to rewatch part of it and got a little worked up again. And then I was like, <laughs> don't do this. It's yeah, okay. no, I hear you completely. I'm, I just downloaded the tape and I'm excited tonight. It'll be my night tonight. We'll be digging into it, but it's always important to bring back and come back to the context. The, the elements mm-hmm. might be true uh, like uh, of a specific game, but can we come back to the context and look at the big picture again in the past and moving forward, how yes. it looks for the box. And we'll do that today on today's Peter Report podcast, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Celsius. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. They've got unbelievable flavors. Fuji apple pear, the orange, the wild berry, the kiwi guava, the watermelon, and I've got the peach vibe sparkling white peach edition here with me today, sustaining me through this day after a relatively sleepless night. Uh, I'm excited about um, Celsius because of the fact that the more people I know that try it, the more people that love it. Get on Amazon, get your subscribe and save going, get yourselves the best energy drink that is out there coming to your door uh, each and every, what, every two weeks you could say. I know some people that go every week and they need them that fast. Yeah. There's no sugar in these things. They accelerate metabolism, burn body fat. Uh, they are in the, in the flavor too, the taste, what, how good it tastes is probably the most remarkable thing, especially because you consider that they're take out all the bad stuff and the crash that you get from other energy drinks because of it. So go ahead and, and check. You can check out Celsius a couple of different places. You can look at Celsius.com for store locators near you to find out where it is. It's becoming more and more prevalent in lots of different places. Or you can go click on the banner ads at pewterreport.com or go to Amazon and you can use the subscribe and save function to get it sent right to you. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fast protein bars from Celsius as well. These are the best tasting protein bars I have ever had in my life. I was pretty much an energy drink virgin by the time I tried them over at Celsius. (laughs) I was not at all with the fast protein bars because I tried lots of protein bars before. And it was really hard to find one that actually tasted good and was good for you. These taste unbelievable. And they got 20 grams of protein in them. I had one today. It was my breakfast. It was actually pretty much my lunch as well. Um, And one gram of sugar uh, in these things. That's it. To 20 grams of protein. And the taste, white chocolate cookies and cream, caramel peanut crunch. It's a cheat code that they found this taste in something that's this good for you. That combination, you just can't find it very many places. So make sure you, you can click actually the link in the YouTube description to get yourselves some fast. You can get the variety pack. Both of these flavors you see up on the screen. Get yourself some fast protein bars sent right to you. Man, you will not be sorry that you did. 
Okay, Casey, we've got, oh man, full slate of topics today and conversation. The chat is already blowing up. Should we jump in here on some of these comments from from listeners, from viewers? Before yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's see what we got here. Uh, I think it, it's suitable for our starting point too, because I think this right. is where fans are going <laughs> to really need some time. Yep. And we'll ask fans to answer with us too. We'll ask them, you know, fixable or not fixable. Like, what do you think in terms of what the Bucks issues are moving forward? Paul says extremely fixable. We know Paul's all over the tape. He's always studying up the tape. Um, he says, Great. will they fix them? I don't know. We'll see. But um, <laughs> how about them refs? Of course, people want to talk about the refs. We did. We vented out the refs. If you haven't checked out, pewterreport.com has probably eight articles up just from last night's pod, since last night's mm-hmm. podcast. Tons of content from Arians penalty analysis of the team this season and even looking at some past seasons is up on the site paul uh jc's game changer column scott's two-point conversion column lots of good stuff up there scott was pissed last night he vented some more out in the um in the uh two-point conversion column so make sure you check that out as well nate wants to know how do you spell casey's last name and i guess he wants to know how you spell your first name too all my information nate no i'm just three times three times he screws it up nate you're gonna have the effort that he actually did all the k's though he He got all k's but none of the right versions of your first name we're gonna keep nate in the dark actually we're not gonna tell nate anything yeah. He's going to have to keep a uh, fact-finding mission. He'll have to go yeah, on. You were so close on one of them, though. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about these issues, Casey. And one of them, are they sustainable or are they not sustainable? Will they de- Will they actually, do they actually stand a chance of, of uh, taking away and subtracting from the Bucks' efforts to repeat as Super Bowl champions? Or are they more like a bump in the road thing right now that the team can fix and probably will fix or probably will see some regression as the season goes along? Let's start with penalties. We saw 11 of them for 99 yards in this past game. The Bucks have more penalty yardage than any other team in the NFL uh, against them this season. They've also benefited from less penalties than all but one other team in the NFL this season. So the penalty situation, what happens with the case? Terrible to think of. Well, so I would almost say the bright spot in it is that penalties was an issue last season. And then after, you know, an embarrassing loss, they found a way to turn it around and have one of the cleanest games ever. The problem is the consistency of it. You would have thought that returning 22 starters and all the hype of these guys being on the same page, having a training camp together, all this stuff, would have minimized it. Um, so I think it's a fixable situation. It's just like these conversations happen every post game. We ask Bruce Arians, you know, what about those penalties? And then he says, we're going to get back to the basics or work it in and practice. And then comes another loaded penalty game. That's the only mm-hmm. part that's kind of nerve wracking, but you've seen that they can turn it around before. And if you know that that's going to be your Achilles tendon, then why not? Um, right. I don't know, put that much effort behind clearing that up. I don't know if it's because there's been so many changes when it comes to the Bucks having to, you know, be so flexible with people playing, people not playing. And then I think that has a tendency to get in these guys' heads, mm-hmm. right. maybe make them a little jumpy, but I don't think it's anything long-term. I don't think it's anything that's going to keep them out of playoffs or cost them this season. I tend to agree um, for the most part. I think there's one thing, pre-snap penalties Desmond brings up here. That's mm-hmm. the key part, right? The Bucks have been posed by some bad calls. They also haven't played as disciplined as they should post-snap. That, those those issues can be cleaned up. Some technique issues can be cleaned up. Veteran team, I think it will get better as the year progresses. There's just no way, even if it don't get better, that they keep getting called at the rate that they are. Like The Bucks are getting called penalties on them at a tremendous rate. Uh, like I said, second most penalties in the league um, for any team so far this year. 
What's also crazy about it is that they aren't benefiting from calls either. As I mentioned, only the Ravens mm-hmm. have benefited from, I think, one less penalty called than the Bucs. And, and same thing with penalty yardage. All the Ravens are the only team with less penalty yardage given to them um, th- by by calls other than the Bucs. And so the Bucs are kind of on that end of the spectrum too, that even if they maintain their current penalty rate, which seems unlikely, there's almost no way that teams, they keep getting as few calls against them, against the opposition as what has happened so far this season. So at the very least, things will start canceling each other out rather than being as lopsided as it is. And if that happens, then I like the Bucks' talent to win out in, in the majority, if not all of the rest of their matchups this season. So that's one thing to look at too. But Desmond brings up pre-snap penalties, and that's interesting because I've got some some really disturbing stats that I'm going to Casey. I know. I was going to say, there's, there's like a really disturbing percentage on their pre-snap penalties that I had written yeah. down. But, okay, so who is this mostly getting kind of called back to? Like, is there, what is there player? a name? Huh? What player you mean? Yeah. Like, who yeah. who does this keep who does this keep getting drawn back to? Because yeah. then at that point, it's like, you got to dial in a situation at some point. Can you isolate the, can you isolate the issue? Yeah, exactly. So if you, you if really you can't, can't though, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the scary everybody. part. If you can't yeah. isolate the issue, then you have a little bit of a larger problem on your hands. That, yeah, so. you do because it's harder to cut out. Like if one guy just keeps jumping offside, you could bench him or that one guy could fix one variable is easier to fix than multiple variables. But unfortunately that's yeah. not been the case. It's pretty much everybody in their defensive line and it's been going on for ages. This was startling to me, not necessarily surprising, but this is the first time I actually sat down and, and studied it, I would say. But uh, Tampa Bay leads the league in pre-snap penalties with 23. They added another three pre-snap penalties on Sunday. The vast majority of the issues for the Bucs have come on defensive offsides and neutral zone infractions. That's nothing new as the Bucs led the NFL with 11 defensive offsides and 14 neutral zone fractions infractions last year. In 2019, right, they right now. they're at – what are they at right now? Ten defensive, uh, no, five defensive here. offsides and three neutral zone infractions. So they're already at eight combined. So they're on pace to be close below the neutral zone infraction mark, but above the, the or around the defensive offsides. Because in 2019, also under Todd Bowles, the Bucks led the league with 15 neutral zone infractions and were seventh worst with seven defensive offsides this year. Five and three, it's still been an issue. Offensive false starts have been an issue, but not really one player. In fact, a ton have been not on the offensive line. A lot have been wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, as we saw with Ronald Jones yesterday. It's been that kind of stuff. So, But in some ways, Casey, like how often are you going to suffer false starts from wide receivers and running backs over the course of a year? It's just not going to happen very often. Most of the time, those guys are not worried about getting out of their stand super early. So even with the pre-snap penalties being stuff that they can absolutely control, I still don't see this being an issue, especially to the point that it derails them the rest of the season. The Bucks are too good to let five-yard penalties stop them. We've actually seen them overcome a bunch on offense. I think they overcome overcame several the other day in the game offensively against one of the best defenses they'll face all season. Um, I don't think it's going to be a debilitating issue for them the rest of the season. It has been in a couple games to this point. Um, but this was really like the Bears game, probably the first one where it really kind of cost them the game. And um, I don't and know that that'll happen a lot. Too. Yeah. That's where they kind of end up really shooting themselves in the foot is that it's one thing to get a penalty against yourself that sucks. It's another thing to get it in, you know, in crucial downs or in crucial moments where right. you need it. And then you end up just kind of having to turn the ball back over. So, I mean, 
I think in yesterday's game, the the Tampa only really got through 58 plays versus the Saints, like 72 plays or something like that. So yeah, you're, right. you're also 76. giving them, yeah, you're also giving the other team so many more opportunities to just beat you with these mm-hmm. penalties. So definitely something that needs to be fixed sooner rather than later. Because I mean, we're at that that turning point of the season. But like you said, if it's not always the the O line, then these are things that they could somewhat narrow down a bit more talking to these guys, or I don't know what they need to do. Right. Chat sound off. Do you think it's fixable or not fixable in terms of the self-inflicted stuff for the Bucs, in terms of the penalties, especially fixable or not fixable. Will it derail the season or not derail the season? Paul has some points here, even with the bad calls of the Bucs cleaned up the calls that were clearly self-inflicted. They win that game completely agree with Paul there. Yeah. Um, the margin for error with the Bucs is huge. It's nuts. Agreed. This is, this is a team that arguably is not even, I mean, the really a lot of games this year, they have not played anywhere close to their potential, right. lots of self-inflicted stuff. And they're mm-hmm. still six and two. And they're still, you know, in this game had a ridiculous, they even had chances to win the way they gave away yardage and opportunities and the ball. And yeah. So yeah, they can well, make a lot of mistakes. And the Saints that game. So yeah, I completely agree. A right. lot of, they have, they've, I don't think they've played their best football yet. Right. I agree with that completely. I agree with that. Especially, offensively they are just like i mean they're always kind of like some games they've played really well but they're just everything's kind of like right there and if they mm-hmm. just you know, didn't drop the ball or didn't commit a penalty or you know they, they have kind of the system i feel like really kind of figured out we will get to one issue uh with the offensive with the offense maybe in a little bit that i that i might be a little bit concerned about all right let's move on to number two so number one was penalties i think the consensus in the chat is that it's fixable it's it's, yes. it's frustrating in the moment of a game but ultimately long term that's rarely a thing that prevents a team especially a team as talented as the bucks mm-hmm. from recognizing their potential in when it when when crunch time and the playoffs and those kind of things i don't think it's going to prevent them um from that let's yeah. talk about this element number two coverage from the secondary, especially, let's say, and cornerback play, which actually ties into ties into one of the other ones because health is one of them, and, and we're gonna get there with health. Yeah. <laughs> It'll all bleed in. That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what you could say. Here's my thing with coverage and cornerbacks, Casey, and I'll let you kind of formulate what you're thinking too on this. But mm-hmm. my biggest thing with cornerback play that being, yes, I think it's a concern moving forward. Mm-hmm. but maybe not in the way that everybody else does. Like I know people are ripping Ross Cockrell for last night and he got beat on a touchdown and Pierre Desir, you know, he got beat on the 38 yarder and missed a tackle on Traquan Smith. And it is frustrating, but like Kevin's Kevin White was the leading receiver for the saints with 38 yards. Like <laughs> they just, uh, no receiver has really gone off on these guys. And I know they haven't played great quarterbacks. They haven't played great receivers. And that's why I have it on there as an issue moving forward. Mm-hmm. Like it's a question mark, especially we'll see what happens with the health situation. We'll get to that in a second. But if the current group right now had to keep playing, yeah, I'd have it as an issue moving forward. They've actually kind of survived the situation really well. I mean, defensively they've improved every single week in terms of, the amount of passing yards against them, like in terms of what yeah. they're giving up to opposing quarterbacks. And especially from wide receivers, a lot of the production has been tight ends and running backs or receivers underneath the middle of the field and not a lot on the outside. Definitely not a lot of big plays. You know, the 38 yarder was really hurt them. Um, but yes. those have been the exception rather than the rule against this Bucks team this year. They prevented big plays really well. Yeah. I mean, it is a great point because realistically, if you think about, you know, the timing of which they had of when they had to step up the teams that they have played against. And I will say Ross Cockrell has been progressively better. He's stepped into the role a little bit more confidently. The hard part with it though, is like 
they've had a few games where they've had to mark hard, like they've had harder targets to work against and they did a bit, you know, they did okay for who they are and what they do. So I think it was just expected that they wouldn't let, you know, Kevin, like Kevin White, like the worst thing you can hear as a fan watching that game is the commentators go, who is this guy? Yeah. I'm like, oh, but Pierre just kind of <laughs> let him blow past him. So you got this game, right. guy that, you know, has, has come off as a no-namer who barely does much of anything, who hasn't had much production in two seasons. Mm. And then he's going against Pierre who did, you know, well, the past two yeah. games, and then it, it's not there. So right. I, I think like where you're coming from, it's obviously valid, but in the same sense, it's like, it's been a couple weeks now. It's time to see something a little bit bigger. Are these guys okay with just being threes and fours for the rest of you know their career, or do they want to kind of increase and 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 show that they have the ability to maybe step into a two slot? I don't know. So I, I kind of struggled with that one. That play yeah. is where I was just like, I already wanted to turn off the TV, but I really wanted to turn off the TV. No, I I hear you. There was some frustrating moments. I will say this: Desir did have that play where Jawan Johnson trying to come down with that jump ball, and he kind of stripped it out. On the way down, um, it was a good play on, on a deep ball. I don't remember what ended up happening on that drive. I'll kind of see it as I review the tape, I'm sure. But there were moments from – there's been moments <laughs> from all these guys that have been good. I mean, Delaney, you know, you yeah, never I thought saying – I think it was a good moment. <laughs> not from yesterday. <laughs> no, because realistically, I, he got up, he started celebrating. And um, to some popular, some unpopular, <laughs> I I tweeted right away. I'm like, calm down, Pierre. Like, Johnson basically had the ball because it looked yeah. like he had a lot more control. It's he just probably like, could have squeezed it, yeah. He could have. He yeah, could have. He was a better player. It's just yeah. like, it was nothing to celebrate, in my opinion, for, okay. for him. So that just right. kind of goes, you know, under the tally of the, the the white situation. Now, if you don't have the speed on you, you don't have the speed. You can't really hold that against a player if right. it's not a speedster. But then it kind of goes into another issue in that category of, like, making your tackles, wrapping up, like these right. guys have so many missed tackles out there and it's just, it's, it's hard to watch. It's painful. Yeah. That's the, that is a big issue. And we'll talk about that in a second too. I will say this about secondary. I do think it could be a concern moving forward. I don't think it's been a big part of why they've lost so far. Like mm -hmm. I know it's a common concern. So I put it out there. There have certainly been moments that it's hurt the team where they didn't have enough talent in the secondary. I do think those moments have been few and far between, but when they face better quarterbacks, it's going to be an issue again. When they face better passing offenses, which may not happen for a while, to be honest, Casey. <laughs> so I look at the schedule right now, but I mean, Washington, yeah, the Giants, the Colts, I guess, but we'll even see if Carson Wentz is still kicking at that point. We'll have to see, um, and we'll see what they look like really at that point. Um, the Falcons in December 5th, you know, but that's a ways off. By that point, you're talking about different personnel in the secondary for sure. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Bruce, Bruce Arians did say today that he was pretty, it seemed like he was pretty encouraged by the progress of Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, Scotty Miller. He didn't mention Antonio Brown, but Ian Rapport reported yesterday he thinks that Brown will be back. So I would say, yeah, I think that, that that's a good sign for the secondary. Here's my last point on that, Casey. Mm -hmm. I'll be more worried about the secondary. Yes, I never thought I'd say this. I'll be more worried about the secondary moving forward if they bench Jamel Dean and start Sean Murphy bunting over him. Like Jamel Dean has gone out and earned the opportunity to start across from Carlton Davis. It needs to happen when Carlton Davis returns. He's hardly given up anything. He's been the team's number one corner. No, I know it hasn't been against great quarterbacks. I know it hasn't been against great wide receivers. He has done his job extremely well. He's made plays on the football. He's been a shutdown guy. Carlton Davis plays on the left side. Dean plays on the right side. Sean Murphy Bunting is the nickel when he comes back. 
But Jamel Dean has earned that right to be out there for more opportunities, no matter how much the coaching staff loves Sean Murphy Bunting and his energy and his vocalness. (laughs) I know they love him, but he has not ever had a stretch of play as good as what Jamel Dean has had since Sean Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis went down. He that has to be recognized. That has to be rewarded, in my opinion, especially when what we've seen from Sean Murphy Bunting has been a roller coaster at best. And you know, and he had you know a couple two good games really in the playoffs last year that deserve praise. But overall, he is still he's volatile at least, Stacey. <laughs> I can't disagree with you only because I feel like the Bucks. I feel like they're still on the high of Sean Murphy Bunting from 2019. You know, I think he had maybe like 50 something tackles, but three interceptions. He was a younger guy. That was very spectacular for him. They wanted him to carry that momentum into 2020. Now he had 70 combined tackles in 2020, but one interception. So it's, I think they're holding out to give him the opportunity to be, you know, who they thought he was going to be in 2019. But I do agree that Jamal Dean, he's doing very well. He's getting progressively better game by game. I think with, in his situation, it would be, it would be a negative move to pull him out for Sean Murphy bunting, because if you allow him to continue to step into that role, he's only going to get better. I think because last year he showed strides of, you know, I could do good things. And then he was pulled from the lineup or he was, you know, placed down and stuff. So some of these guys, you got to give them a streak of consistency so that they can actually rise to the occasion or show you what kind of player they can actually be. So I agree. Uh, yeah, I think exactly right. I think that's what Dean's done. He had an opportunity. He seized it. He's played great football for several weeks now in a row. Um, I think he just needs the opportunity to keep playing. And if he struggles, sure, then then hook him and you put Sean Murphy Bunting in there. And yeah, you you move forward. I mean, you you know he plays more snaps. You're going to play a lot of the game in nickel anyway, and you can play more of it in nickel if Sean Murphy Bunting's your nickel rather than Ross Cockrell, who's not right. as good a run defender. Um, and so that and it needs reality. to be. Sorry, I said another reality of the situation is that we don't know what kind of player Sean Murphy Bunting is going to be coming back from this injury. That's true too. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. He's missed a lot of time. I mean, he was first quarter, second, first couple of minutes of the second quarter, maybe of the first game of the year. Yeah. Right at the top of that Cowboys game. And that was a wrap. So to miss a lot of time for people to, you know, still be kind of trying to find the the heartbeat of this team leading into the most crucial part of the season. We have no idea what he's going to look like coming back from that injury. Or yeah. what his confidence level is going to be because, you know, OJ Howard, he's, he was somewhat, you know, he had a slow start when on his return, didn't look very good, didn't look very confident. And then, you know, finally had a few games where he started to get his feet underneath him. So I, w- I would think it would be a mistake to pull Jamal Dean when you don't know how Sean Murphy Bunting is going to be just yet. Right. I agree with you for sure. I think that that's something that will be, it will be worth monitoring how the Bucks handle it because we know how we see it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a point that not many people have talked about yet, but I know one we'll be talking about over the next two weeks, especially as we get more word on Murphy Bunting and how he's progressing. Um, I think that that will be a, a big part of this uh, for sure moving forward. Um, okay, let's let's talk about our friends over at Living Golf Life, Casey, because these they have some unbelievable products coming out. I'm rocking the hat right now. You can see while well, I'm wearing it backward, but <laughs> you can also see it. There it is up on the screen. You can see it, the Living Golf Life hat. Uh, the ball, they have all kinds of stuff. The polos are extremely comfortable. If you want to get out on the course, blow off steam from this recent Bucks loss, you got to get out on the course during the bye week, right? That's a given. 
So if you're getting out on the course, the weather right now is unbelievable. I freaking love Florida. Uh, but <laughs> if you're getting out on the course right now. You say everybody's just, golfing this week. Oh, my gosh. It's perfect week for it. Uh, get out on the course. Get yourself. Get one of these polos. Get the Living Golf Life hat. LivingGolfLife.com. You can check out all the stuff they have. Or follow them on Instagram, at Living Golf Life. Support these guys. Great guys. Starting a business. Have a dream for this thing uh, in the way they want to develop it. And I think they've got some really – neat looking products that they're putting out already uh and more stuff is on the way too up on their site at livinggolflife.com so make sure you check that out um get invested in what these guys are doing for sure and uh and enjoy it and get great gifts too with the holidays coming up really good gifts uh as well um yeah. okay let's talk about number three on the list casey uh, health no pressure <laughs> sorry pressure is number three we'll get yeah. to health in a second well actually do you want to just let's just talk about health because okay. we can touch on it really quickly um <laughs> And it can kinda... obviously, obviously not. I don't think it's obviously it's not sustaining, right? Because they're going to get healthier after the buy. Yeah, that's actually going to give them a, a huge opportunity. But the, hopefully with yesterday's game, they didn't lose Gronkowski longer than anything. Because mm -hmm. as most of you guys know, uh, Bruce Arians said he probably shouldn't have been playing to begin with. And when Bruce Arians says something mildly, you can probably tack about, you know, 20% of panic on top of that realistically. So. Yeah. Um, I think most of it is manageable. I'm just a little concerned on certain timelines that weren't realistic a couple of weeks ago, um, how realistic they might play out after the bye week. Is it going to be, you know, are we going to get two, three players back right after the bye week or is it going to be another two, three weeks realistically? Because the end goal is playoffs. Right. Um, pulling these guys back in, especially for the next, at least the first two games, it's not necessary. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think that... <sighs> Has it been an issue for them so far? This has it been the reason they've lost either game that they've lost? I'm not sure, but I will say this mm -hmm. I don't think it's completely coincidental that Antonio Brown hasn't played in either of the team's losses this season. I think that they've played their yes, two of the best three teams that they've played, he didn't play again. So there is, you know, some level of coincidence there and that the opponent's been better. But he is a factor. He is a difference-making player for this team. More so than I even probably thought he would be this offseason when his free agency. More so than anybody did, obviously. Otherwise, <laughs> he would have had more offers. I know with his legal situation, too, that, that probably threw uh, a wrench in things. But he's a difference-maker for this team and allows them to go 11 personnel a little bit more. If Gronkowski's not going to be 100% the rest of the way or going to be out or something, you know, we don't know. They need to be able to play wide, three wide receivers much more often than they have. Um, yeah. even, and he's well, a big part of that, so. And just to think of the three different kinds of wide receivers that they are, because, yeah. you know, right. in, in the two games that Antonio Brown was missing, they needed that speed factor. Scotty Miller has not been there, like, hasn't been here basically the whole season just about. So, you know, it was even said in some commentary after last night's game, if Antonio Brown was out there and they had that speed factor, it would have helped them seal the deal so much. Yeah. Um, he's also one of the wide receivers. And this is something like, I always try to like find the right verbiage on, but this, he's one of those wide receivers that I think has one of the best reads and connections with Tom Brady, mm -hmm. because some of the mistakes that I feel like I'm picking up on while watching the game is that receivers aren't either are not ready for the speed in which Tom Brady delivers the ball, or they're not, you know, reading him properly on what play that they're supposed to be doing. Hence the overthrows, hence the short throws, hence a lot of the routing issues. And a lot of that doesn't really happen with Antonio Brown because he can either match the speed and the pace of the ball, or he just has a stronger connection and read with Tom Brady. So he's a factor in many ways, in my opinion, which hurts yeah. him. I agree completely because he can do so many different things at a high level. Paul says AB is what makes his team unfair. He's way too good to be out and not missed. 
uh, agree with My that. Uh, Harvinder too. Yeah. <laughs> <That> too. <laughs> Harvinder says AB is Tampa's best wide receiver. Obviously, it's going to be different without him. Sorry, but Evans is not in the same league as AB. Godwin was fantastic last night. Yeah, and I mean, I think Evans deserves a shout out too. He did play really well. I know people are upset about, yeah, maybe alligator armed a little bit that that vertical ball when the play right before the interception. But also, I think he kind of lost track of the ball. I don't think it was like a. I don't know. There's probably a combination of factors. We'll look at it on the tape. I'll, I'll take the coach speak and we'll look at it on the tape. That's what I'll do. But you need to no full, you need to have the tape running over here and you just talking over here. That I do. Like, hey, I'd love to do a show like that. We're trying section. to we're trying to yeah we're trying to put something together. Maybe okay, we can have I'm a show. Sure like fans that are like something. asking for that already. Yeah. But yeah, I I think injuries are kind of like like you know putting them out and I mean they only have two losses so right. That's the part that doesn't really sound the alarms, but um, a really good point with them being able to be more efficient with 11 personnel. They mm -hmm. ran 12 personnel how many times without the right tight ends, right. in my opinion. Cameron yeah. doesn't look – he looks like he's either secretly fighting through something or he just doesn't look like he did three seasons ago. Mm -hmm. So you don't even have the right tight ends at the moment, nothing against these guys, to be running 12 personnel and make it effective. So yeah. – that was a waste for me. Right. And I agree. Once Gronkowski's out, you 12 personnel usage should just go way down. And, and I don't understand why it's a big deal for them to want that happen. Even with Tyler Johnson in the game, he, he isn't amazing, but he played well. And he is certainly, I mean, if he hadn't had that drop, he would have had like an 80 some yard game at that drop at the end of the, on the yeah. last drive of the game, meaningless drop. I know, but he, he was, he was open. He played well enough, you know, I mean, not, not going to threaten a B, but you know, he, productive part of the offense for the most Still part enough. and yeah, yeah it needs to be needs to be a factor for them way more so than Cam Braden and, and Rob Gronkowski so maybe we we tack that onto the concern you know can they play at a more 11 personnel and less 12 personnel especially if Gronkowski is not as effective yeah and that is a big question mark next to it because without Gronk I, it shouldn't be something so heavily relied on because you just you need the right people there to make that effective and as you guys know from the beginning of the season and the first podcast I ever did with you guys, I'm a big fan of 12 personnel, but um, not but, just to do it. <laughs> but you're a bigger fan of Scotty Miller, who also might be back after the oh, There we go. They needed Scotty to win this one. I was going to say, if we're I talking mean, about health, let's talk about Scotty Miller too, because he would he makes a difference as well. So they haven't had him. So well, yeah, and those deep balls that are you know twenty plus forty plus yards. You know how many has how many of those has Scotty Miller been on the receiving end of? Mm -hmm. you right. know it's right it's those guys who can just throw those surprises in the mix i feel like the bucks have just set got settled into this predictable pattern and you have way too much talent to be a so predictable and then whenever you try to shake things up it's just it's a mess it really right. just looks like you should have just stuck to something else so um yeah health is going to be a huge part in them continuing to win out which they right. are going to want to do obviously and need to right do. Yep, I agree. And I think that oh, so we've got three things. Penalties, we think it's going to regress and we think it's not not necessarily going to be a thing that derails the team. Mm -hmm. Coverage, you know, I think that it's trending the right direction. They've, they've held their own without some of their best players and now they're going to get those guys back. Mm -hmm. Davis, Sean Bunting, we'll see what happens. You know, maybe that's an issue moving forward, but right now we like the direction it's going. I don't think it'll be it's it's in and of itself detrimental to their to their cause to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Health obviously moving in the right direction. They could have everybody healthy after the bye week for week 10. We'll see what that situation looks like, but fingers crossed for that. It seems like things are trending that direction. So we'll see. Um pressure. That's our fourth one, Casey. Pressure slash blitzing unsuccessfully. Bulls blitz heavy strategy not working 22 blitzes according to next gen stats yes uh 
was it yesterday, Sunday night, yesterday. 20, 22, yeah, that was already yesterday, 22 blitzes. That means I think five or more rushers, according to their statistics, their, the way they chart it. And no pressure on any of those blitzes. I think they said it's the most ever in the time next gen stats has been charting since 2016. They've never had that many blitzes without any pressures. There's two parts to this, Casey, and I'll let you say what you think about what they should do with pressure moving forward. The Bucs are blitzing at the league's highest rate. It's not even close by far. Sean Payton said they knew it. They were prepared for it. They figured it would happen. He did say they were a little surprised they did it right off the bat because in the past they hadn't done it, but mm-hmm. they were prepared for it to happen, especially when Trevor Simeon got in there. It's true. The Bucs did not blitz Drew Brees that much because there was no point to it. They threw the ball so quickly. Right. Um, but oh, everybody else, yeah, everybody else is getting it basically. And now that Brees is out of there, they were getting it. They were going after Jameis. They went after Trevor Simeon. 22 blitzes. No pressure on any of those blitzes, according to Next Gen Stats. The other issue, the Saints and other teams are max protecting against the Bucs like crazy. I think the Saints played six offensive linemen and like 16 yes. offensive snaps. <laughs> like they played oh my six gosh, guys yeah. up front. <laughs> it's hard to get through. I don't care who you are as a pastor's group. Hard to get through quickly against that. And then to see it and keep doing it. That's what yeah. I was noticing when I was you know, rewatching back some of the parts. And I'm like, why are, why are they running it again? Why are they doing this again? That's the part that just kind of it makes no sense and then yeah. you're just wasting you're 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 wasting plays you're wasting opportunities but the biggest thing with the with the blitzing i think we talk about this almost every podcast you know one of us on the team in one degree or another we ask how much are the bucks going to blitz and i think before against the bears you guys finally told me that it was like 18 you know they blitzed 18 times and whatnot and i kind of assumed that they were going to be a little blitz heavy versus Jameis winston because of his right. hold time on the ball but when and he's not as quick mobile wise as the other two quarterbacks that they had just gone against. So I, for me, I was like, okay, this might be an opportunity if you want to be a little blitz crazy. But then when you start seeing that it's not working and you're not, and you're not pulling off of it, I don't know why Todd Bowles just continues to try to blitz and to blitz as much as they didn't have one sack the entire game, regardless of the penalties, you have one decent sack. That's terrible. Yeah. What we really need, Casey, because this is not my area of expertise, is understanding blitzes and setting up pressure pre-snap, all this. We need to get somebody on the show who can come on and talk with us about what they're seeing from Todd Bull's blitzes. Because this has been a guy that lives and dies by the blitz and how he gets pressure, even when he doesn't send five, just simulated pressures, dropping out, all those kind of things. And it's yeah. just been absolutely sliced and diced this year by everybody. It feels like he's been solved, basically. And while Bulls has strengths as a defensive coordinator, as much as I rip on him, everything he does is predicated around getting pressure. If he cannot get yeah. pressure, his scheme falls apart. He's not trying to win every play, win every down, fight for every square inch. He's trying to get pressure or a sack that makes you have a turnover or you strip sack or puts you behind the chains and makes you get off script offensively. Mm -hmm. That's what his units are trying to do. They're going to prevent the big play. They're going to get pressure. They're going to force you into a mistake. That's his whole philosophy. And it all dies if you can't get pressure, because that means short completions happen. Teams getting winning down in distances, preventing, not preventing the big play doesn't matter anymore. All those things, you know, you're not getting the turnovers you thought you were. Um, They've come in bunches when the bucks have had them this season. It has not been consistent throughout the year. First six, Six, seven games last year, pressure was consistent through that mm-hmm. Raiders game. It was a factor. Um, and we ha- there's not been a sustained stretch like that. It feels like a lot of his pressure packages have been solved. Again, I'm not – that's not my area of expertise. I need to get somebody on the show, hopefully for next week during the – when we're coming out of the bye, I guess, yeah. uh, maybe for next Thursday's show to uh, to give us some insight onto that and what they're seeing 
from Bulls blitz packages because that is a huge part of what the Bucks do defensively. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been successful. They are okay at getting pressure with four, but they're not elite at getting pressure with four. And a lot of teams are max protecting six or seven, keeping the back end check, releasing the back um, yep. on a pattern. It's that this to me is concerning. This is the most concerning thing to me. I think about the Bucks, Casey. I don't know whether this team can get pressure consistently enough to win games defensively, which puts a lot more pressure on offense to be pretty more mistake-free. Um, and it, especially when they face elite offenses, it's going to put even more pressure on them. Absolutely. Well, I mean, two great points that you made within that, the max protection, because when you're looking back at things and you see that they have JPP, Sue, um, Vea, and Shaq, yeah. the thing that I was seeing versus the Saints yesterday is that they just kept with their max protection, they were able to create these gaps on the left side. The Saints had so much production on the left side of the field because it it always opened up between Shaq and Vea, or even if they switched things over a little bit. So that is a huge issue for one. For two, it may have done well last year for the first couple of six games, but then it all kind of ties back into this health issue. So you don't have a healthy JPP. You don't have, you know, these guys in the same position that they were last year, you don't have them at the same, you know, level health wise, maybe even athleticism wise. I mean, you've got to look at how much more time Sue has left. You got to look at how much more time, you know, these guys have left and adjust yeah. accordingly because realistically when they're taking on these max pressures, Sue's taking on double team, almost every single snap that's going to wear down on a guy who probably doesn't have much time left in the league. Right. And, um, there was something else that you said that was just like really, really on point with that, but it's the, it's just the adjusting. If you don't have, I know that they have the same starters that are coming back, but I don't think everybody is in the same health and and capability that they are. So you can't keep running the same things. Yeah. That's the frustrating part is that Vita Vey can physically overpower people, but he doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily always get off blocks super well to get in pursuit. He doesn't right. win pass blockers. He just wins through them. And that literally just takes longer. It takes longer to knock down a 320-pound dude like well, to go around him. And there's a difference between being strong and explosive. So yeah. depending on certain guys that he's facing off against, you know, if he's not winning on, you know, on the explosiveness and they're getting inside on him quicker, then th- those five seconds right there are all about mm-hmm. him just kind of having his 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 duel with the guy in front of him. It's not yeah. allowing him to right. get right. It's a lot of hand high. fighting and it's not really getting off and affecting the quarterback. And exactly. you can kind of say the same thing for Jason Pierre Paul. You know, he's he's been a little better recently last couple of weeks, but Jack Barrett's really the best one-on-one guy. If Joe Tryon Trink is going to continue not to play, we'll talk about that in a mm-hmm. second. But if he's barely going to play, I mean Jack Barrett's probably your best one-on-one guy. And you know, Jack's a good pass rusher, but he's never going to be an elite athlete or an elite physical specimen. He's kind of the opposite of Joe Tryon Trink. He has to yeah. win on technique and his first step, making sure he times the snap up. Those are the ways that he wins. Um, yep. He's going to win with that and pass rush variety more than he is athleticism or power. So you, you need to, there are certain matchups he's like this one against Ramchick that he's never really kind of dominated. And so that mm-hmm. needs to be considered uh, when you talk about whether these guys can win on one, one-on-one. So it's a good pass rush group one-on-one. It's not a great pass rush group one-on-one of, for terms of the front four. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's concerning if teams are going to protect with as many as they have and still find completions underneath that's really where it gets you. Like you can't be protecting with three quarterbacks or protecting with seven quarterbacks, eight, three mm-hmm. guys are in route, like three guys. You have to be able to cover those guys much longer than this Casey. And that's oh, not yeah. held up either. 
And that just opened up the middle so much. Um, again, just kind of touching back to yesterday's game because it's fresh. But, you know, when you have these front four guys going at it and they're getting tied up with these six linemen that they're going off with, and then you've got three guys getting open. I mean, again, the worst thing that you can hear is when a commentator is like, who is that guy? 45, I think it was Griffin or, or whatnot for the Saints being able was, to get yeah. into the middle. Like, he 12 yard gain, <laughs> right? And it's and that like, was one where they were dropping people, the whole were... D line tangled up, and then you see, you yeah. know, everybody else so far dropped back, and the whole center of the field is just open all day. Like, Trevor Simeon should have never had multiple opportunities to just who do I want to throw right. to? When do I want right. to throw the ball? He had too many of those opportunities. So, is it a is it an issue that will continue? I, I am concerned about this one. This is the first one of the four we've done. I'm actually mm-hmm. kind of concerned about this one against bad teams. No, I'm not, you know, they'll find like they did against the bears and you know they'll, they'll find ways against Washington and they'll find, you know, they'll get enough to win games the rest of the regular season, but against the good teams and against teams like in the playoffs. Now I will say this Casey, I thought it was an issue last year going down the stretch mm-hmm. and they turned it on in the playoffs and they found another level. And a lot of it had to do with coverage. You know, we talk about marrying coverage to pass right. rush. They changed their ten- tendencies coverage wise over the last three games in the playoffs. They went yeah. to more cover two. They played more press man. It threw quarterbacks off. It made them hold the ball a second longer. It got them uncomfortable. They moved unorthodoxly in the pocket uh, compared mm-hmm. to how they were used to, to work to throws they weren't expecting to go to. And it, it created lanes for pass rushers. So the combination of those two is important. If the secondary comes back stronger, it's possible that there's more success there. There's also no way Devin White's going to continue to miss sacks at the rate that he currently is, which brings us to point number five, Casey. Tackling! And finishing sacks. What is happening with this? Like, it is egregious. I think they're like closing their eyes right as they're about to like set in on the guy. That's the only explanation. They're just like, I think I I, Bruce Arians talked about it today. I don't know if you heard his quote. I'm trying to find it here. He said, let's see. He said, here we go. We had some free guys on the pass rush. This was his thoughts on the pass rush. We had some free guys and just didn't get there in time. I think we went for a strip sack and let Jameis out one time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the play got hurt. Should have been a sack. Uh, we just have to do a better job of finishing, especially when we're blitzing. The back end has to hold up just a little bit longer too and don't let those quick throws come out. So it's a combination of the coverage because we're getting guys free and we're getting pressure, but we're not finishing the jobs. I mean, I think he's exactly right. I think yeah. he's exactly right. And I don't totally blame Todd Bowles for this. Some of this is players have to just tackle. Like that has been such an issue. How many times were they're they're right there for a sack and they've let the guy get away? And mm-hmm. a couple weeks into the season, you're like, okay, whatever. Now we're at this point in the season, it just keeps happening week after week after week. The Bears game, you thought it was fixed, seemed like they were finishing the job, doing really well. Now, I mean, they still having a hard time yeah. finding and finishing on the quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, it's not wrapping up. And like you said, that's a big part. Of, I mean, finishing wrapping up is a big part of finishing because you get right. in these guys faces or you interrupt them for a second. Well, and then it, it kind of plays in on, on two, when you play against desperate teams, like, you know, these wide receivers and these running backs and these quarterbacks are going to be hungry to get those extra yardages. in. so I don't, I don't know what that's going to take specifically because I feel like that's been a topic of discussion since at least week three, finishing your tackles, wrapping up on your tackles, not letting these guys slide through your hands. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the worst part is to watch that, to watch so many almost situations. And it's all because a, a tackle is just not being efficient enough. Right. Right now it's pro football reference. So I'm not sure, you know, I don't always agree with some of their stat collection or I question some of it. I should say they have the bucks with the fifth worst missed tackle rate 
in the league, 53. I would say that's probably around, around I mean, they have the Eagles, yeah. the Dolphins, the Texans, all is worse than the Bucs. So pretty bad teams right there. And then the Ravens <laughs> actually is the worst. So that's kind of surprising to me. I haven't seen enough to obviously the Ravens to know whether that's accurate or not. The other thing I'd add about the Bucs is that even when they finish tackles, it's not often impactful tackling. It's one thing to tackle a guy right when you hit him. And this has been better recently, but it's a big problem at the beginning of the year. You know, it's another thing to tackle a guy and let him fall forward for five more yards. Like that's a huge yes. difference when teams live underneath against you. Absolutely. Because they, they, they don't have the initial momentum when they go in for the tackle, because a lot of things, a lot of tackles that I've seen too, is that they somewhat get the guy they're on the ground and they're making that last pull to hold him back. So that's where some receivers are ripping through their grip and continuing to move forward or they just happen to collapse down. So it's just kind of like, it's just very weak tackling. They're not, right. they're not hitting their mark. And I don't, not to give anybody any crutches. I understand that like with, with, with calls these days, maybe it's concerning or maybe they're just trying to play like, you know, as clean and safe as possible, but still it's, you gotta, you play defense. You gotta hit the guy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think that the penalties, you, you accept them if they happen in those situations, but the mm -hmm. biggest thing is, yeah, I mean this, no question to me, this one has to be improved. It has to be worked on. Typically it gets better as the year goes on. And I think tackling has gotten somewhat better for the Bucs, even since like the Eagles game, for example, where it was a problem. Like, I think it's improving. So we'll see. Um, I do feel pretty optimistic about this one getting better, not being necessarily a sustainable issue. I will say this, though, as a pass rush group it has to get better. Contain has to be better as mm -hmm. a pass rush group. Letting quarterbacks outside the pocket cannot continue to happen. And this one, as much as I bang the table for Joe trying to make it a play more, it's on him too. He's got to be better at that as well. He's let quarterbacks get outside yeah, a few times he's on him. Yeah, some significant misses. Yeah, I think that it's understandable a little bit why the coaching staff is is probably a little frustrated with that. But listen, if teams are going to throw against you, at the, if, if you're going to put Trevor Simeon in the game and he's going to drop back 36 times against you or whatever it was, yeah, yeah. like you need pass rushers on the field, man. Like even if they screw up once or twice – you need athletes like that on the field. You can't be playing a dude like that eight snaps, which brings us to our next point, Casey. Personnel deployment. This is yours. You, you shouted this out to me before the show. You said, let's talk about personnel deployment because some of this stuff, who's playing where and, and who is playing, period. Like Anthony Nelson playing 10 snaps to Joe Tryon showing his eight. That's bad. That's not things you want to see moving forward. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I did. And I know yesterday I kind of harped on, on Nelson a little bit, thinking that he kind of let up on the play. He did still look like he let up. But granted, Alvin Kamara just, you know, he probably had that one extra step on him speed wise. And Levante David was not expected to get locked up with that tight end. So there's just there's a lot of question marks next to some of these guys you know, the plays that they're in on, I wouldn't have had Anthony Nelson in on, you know, that such a crucial fourth down play, mm -hmm. even though he has been able to do good things. The biggest thing that I noticed when watching yesterday's game though, was that I felt, I personally felt like JPP had a lot more success when he was lining up um, on the, did I say, did I send you right side or left side? I can't remember the defensive left side. I think you said. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think you said on the defensive left side, he had a pass deflection too on the left side. I think he was unblocked, I think, but that's where he deflected both passes. Yeah. So cool. him playing left side, I thought that he was a lot more disruptive. I thought he was, um, he, you know, got a way better read and was able to get inside way better, way faster. Cause as I mentioned earlier, the saints were kind of loading up on, on the left side. A lot of their bigger plays were off the left side. So 
between how often he's in, regardless of injury, and you know where he lines up, and then what happens when Joe Tryon comes into the game, where they have him line up, even simple, you know, changes. There was a huge play where Sue wasn't in and Nacho was in, and Nacho just was stumbling around, and it was just kind of like, "Where are you going? Yeah. Why? Oh yeah. On this play right now. Yeah. So that's where I get concerned about who's in, how often they're in and where they're, where they're playing at. I know a lot of times we end up talking about, you know, the nickel situation or the secondary or who should be mm-hmm. right side, left side. But then even looking in a little bit tighter, you know, that conversation when it comes to JPP, Joe Tryon and even Shaq. Yeah. Remember we talked about it with Mike Edwards too. Like, you know, why is this team so insistent on not playing him even with all the issues they've had at corner? He can play nickel. He's experienced playing nickel. You're mostly zone team, even if you don't think he can play that great a man, you know, is there a way to, to use him more to get him on the field? It hasn't happened. Yeah. Hasn't killed them either, to, to be fair. And hasn't been a thing. This, the safety play or, or nickel play has not killed this team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but yeah, there's been personnel things like that. And and Bruce Aaron said today, you know, he said, I'd like to see Joe Tronchenko play more. And, you know, he's not going to say, in the, yeah, he's not going to go to in a game and say that to, you know, I think if it was 20 snaps, Bruce Aaron's would have been fine. Eight mm-hmm. snaps, like nah, like that's you know, we need a little bit more from him. And I think he's not gonna go to the defensive coaches during a game and, and say, Hey, we need this to happen, but it'll be so one of the things that gets evaluated during the bye week. He'll bring it to their attention. He's not gonna tell them what they do this, it's not gonna be like that. I know fans mm-hmm. are gonna, but he'll say, Hey, like, can we get some packages to get him on the field more? What's that look like for us? Um, the Bucks did terrific self-scouting last year during the bye. It's mm-hmm. encouraging for me that that's a part of their process, Bruce to say that it isn't. <laughs> but it definitely is and clearly was last yes. year coming out of the bye. So I don't care really what he says, as long as they keep doing the right things. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that that's a part of it. Don't think this is something that's cost them games. It's not been that egregious. I don't think this has cost them games or even really points much this year, to be honest. Um, it just, I think it's something that could be better. I don't think it's something that's going to derail them long-term though. Yeah. And not that it derails, but it's like how many weeks have fans and not even just fans, fans, media and whomever else have been asking for more production out of Joe Tryon. You know, it's it's seeing something and kind of giving it an opportunity to to grow or to fail. Like like you said, like, why is it such a topic of discussion that Mike Edwards doesn't get more? I don't know, Mm -hmm. respect placed on his name and more opportunity to maybe show up for the team. And I think the frustrating part, so it's not derailing, but the frustrating part is that those are the kind of risks that you kind of want to take earlier in the season or against specific teams or, you know, get that out of your system now, evaluate it and see how that can help or hurt you towards the end of the season. Because for all you know, you don't want to try to figure that out after the bye week and find out that it's not beneficial. Right. It's important to get into that stuff and get ahead of it for sure. I think um, timing. let's talk about the last thing here. Cause I think we, we agree personnel deployment. The thing that really concerns us so far, sounds like it's pressure blitzing. Can that be a consistent solution for the Bucs? Cause in games they've lost, it just hasn't been a fact. I mean, the saints and Rams yeah. games, they just, it wasn't a fact. You know, pressure was not a factor in the game um, in a positive way for the Bucs. Uh, neutral situation pass rate. This is the only offensive thing on our list. I mean, I guess penalties do work both sides of the ball. But this is the only offensive thing in our list. I think you and I are very much on the same page, Casey, that offensively this team has done really good things. Do they need to do a little bit more consistent at times? Sometimes drops have risen up. They've actually overcome a lot of the penalties that they've had, but sometimes that's risen up. Mm-hmm. You know, For the most part, they have avoided turnovers. I know yesterday there were three, and so people will point to that. But obviously this, is, this team is near the bottom of the league in turnovers, near the bottom of the league in sacks this season. They're avoiding a lot of negative plays. Um, 
Yeah, they need to. They've had some. They've had blips on the radar for sure, where they haven't been as consistent as they should be. Process wise, though, this team has a ton of good things in place moving forward, and they've run the ball way better this year. They found solutions in the short to intermediate passing game way better this year. They finished in the red zone at a tremendous rate. Like I said, they've avoided negative plays. They've still kept hitting big explosive plays down the field at one of the higher rates in the league, while also being more efficient underneath. They're just kind of everything works a little bit better mm-hmm. offensively this year. I think there's no question about that. Brady's in the MVP conversation at midseason points. So a lot of good things on that side of the ball for sure. The one thing that worries me is neutral situation pass rate. I had Paul look this up for me because he's the guru on this. But the win percentage uh, for the Bucs, this is kind of looking at situations where it's between like 20 and 80%. So like they haven't been guaranteed to lose or guaranteed to win essentially in these situations. So it okay. excludes like – two-minute drill situations and that kind of stuff. It excludes the final two minutes of each half. It excludes if the Bucs were like down big to the Rams um, at one point, maybe. I think they were down a couple scores. It excludes that kind of stuff where that win percentage kind of dipped below or when they was up way high and and they were just running the football. So it excludes that kind of stuff. just looks at neutral situations. um, And the Bucs' first down pass right now is 46%. That's 21st in the NFL right now. It's fine. It's not good enough. If the Bucs yeah. want to be a better offense, want to be a more productive, consistent offense, they need to throw the ball more on first down and run the ball less on first down. That is what has worked for them when their offense has been at their best. Mm-hmm. The last several weeks, they've run the ball better, which is great, but they've gotten away from throwing the ball more on first down, which puts them in more third down situations. They were in 19, I think, against the Patriots or maybe the Eagles. I'm trying to remember. Way too many third downs. Uh, it's a hard way to live. Eagles. What's it? The Eagles, was it? Um, yeah, that, that might have been the one. But in this game against the Saints, I said this before the game, one of the keys, staying out of third downs. Bucks did that mm-hmm. horribly throughout the game. Actually didn't matter. They were 8 of 13 on third down. So they had a great percentage on third down. But that's a lot of third downs to be in, I think. Right. And a lot of it came because they were just too conservative on first down. If the Bucks can find a way to throw the ball more on first down, that's the only question I really have offensively in terms of stuff that's been consistent issues specifically mm-hmm. there's been a play here a play there there's been five plays in a game all from different individuals that were frustrating a route could have been better dude could have caught the ball here protection has been actually pretty elite but you know yeah. th- those things that will happen but consistent issues that you can say wow it's coming up every week like you know this is a problem to me that's the only thing casey i think they just need to be more aggressive on first downs absolutely i think they need to be more aggressive and i think it's just become predictable which kind of works against them so you know i've they kind of did that for a portion of last season, if not the top of the season, in the middle of the season, first down was always run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And yeah. once they realized that it was becoming predictable and teams were locking in on them and it was hurting them to get down the field, then they switched it up. So it's being more aggressive, but it's being more confident. Why don't, why do they lack the confidence to go forward on first down and make right. those plays? Is it because you're missing certain receivers? you should be able to put that on the back of a Chris Godwin or a Mike Evans, depending on what the coverage is that game. Right. I mean, this is you're seeing teams play two high safeties against the Bucks on first down, daring them to run. The Saints are, are doing this especially. Paul talked mm-hmm. about it a lot yesterday during the live in-game stream. And the Bucs are falling for it. And they're, they're a better running team than they were. They're still not a top half of the league rushing team. They're not that right. kind of team. So yeah. do what you do well. You found ways. They've been better against two high coverages this year than they have single high coverages. That's a huge change and a huge plus from last year. Like and you they said, they need to safe. trust it, trust mm-hmm. it, and stay aggressive, and they can find success that way. Yeah, they had a lot of lack of confident plays, I feel like, yesterday as well. So it's it's trusting – it, like you said, trust it. I, I would 
I would put a little higher percentage on thinking that there was going to be a successful pass to a Chris Godwin on, you know, out of that play than to just not go for it. I can understand not hitting Mike Evans because he usually has a lock in coverage, but he even showed that he can shake it sometimes when he needs to, but yeah. you've got to try it. You can't yeah. just sit here and run the ball every single time because as right. soon as you become predictable, then you're, you're working against yourself. Right. I mean, second and eight, second and seven against the Saints. Like that's just a, is exactly what their defense, their defense specifically is designed to like really be able to win in those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, and, the, and Brady did so well on third down. I mean, like I said, to be eight of 13 against the Saints on third down, that's really what gave him a chance. They had a ton of big yeah. plays on third downs and, and Brady was excellent in those situations. Protection was excellent in those situations. Yeah. But yeah, that that's a process that I think if you follow it continually is going to undo you uh, more often than not. Malcolm mm -hmm. wants to know what we thought of the horse collar call. Um, guess it was technically correct by the letter of the law, which uh, as the law, according to the NFL rule book, specifically states defensive players cannot actually touch offensive players when they tackle them. Apparently now you can't grab the back of the jersey, even if your hand's not in the jersey, not in the pads, not any of that. You can't even grab the back of the jersey, at least by their nameplate. It's just ridiculous. It's stuff. such BS. It's because just the rules, too. Some right? of these some of these technicalities that they're adding to these rules are ridiculous. They have to be from guys who've never played a down of football in their entire yes, life. Because right. if you think of a player coming at somebody, momentum, you're making a tackle. The last thing you're you're Paying attention to is the meticulous detail of your hand getting inside a jersey or staying on the outside or just like rubbing their back. Like, how do you expect? These I guys get to do the this? inside the jersey thing because you can actually grip and rip them down. Oh, yeah, the if you're gripping. But we need a penalty for the freak weird play that happened to Winston the other day. I get that it's unfortunate he gets hurt, but how yeah. we, we don't need a penalty for a, how many times is that even going to happen? Like, it just is so silly to me that we prohibit or, things in that way and it's yeah, only if the guy falls backward by the way like if he had if he had twisted and turned and fallen down but fallen down the other way it never gets called but if right. you happen to get him with enough force to pull him backward then it's a it's a penalty so it depends a and, lot on the player if you tackling. look at the play the other thing that i wish would be evaluated with some of these penalties is again thinking of what these guys bodies are doing in the moment yeah Devin White's feet were not even on the ground. So he's flying in the air just trying to reach for the guy. And he it's not like he had all the security and the strength to dig into, you know, dig into his feet, square off his hips, and like yank this guy down. Horse collars that you used to see looked a lot more aggressive and, you know, a lot more physical than right. just a guy having to catch him while he's flying midair to make a tackle. Right. For sure. And Completely nobody's agree. Nobody's mad at penalties because the Bucks lost. There was a lot of crap penalties in yesterday's game, period, point yeah. blank, against anyone's team. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, right. I, yeah, it's not. I mean, we happen to cover the Bucks, so we're talking about it. But it wasn't just in that game either. I talked about it all the time on Twitter. If you follow me there, I'm always talking about penalties around the league and how egregious oh, yeah. and bad so many are. And yeah, it's a huge issue until the NFL. I mean, people are actually starting to get so frustrated. I know people that are turn off games and not watch anymore. I mean, there's, I don't know if that'll ever be as big enough issue for the NFL to, for it to be motivation for them to change anything, but it's, it's horrible yeah. uh, what it's done to the product of the game for sure. Just not only the efficient, the but passer the rule, calls, um, yeah, I, mean, I mean, he fell into the guy, he fell into him. Yeah, and he got his helmet ripped off over his face. But we did talk. We talked about it a lot on yesterday's show. I don't want to get into too much of the officials yeah. again, but I know that it's a problem for a lot of people. I do want to talk about a place you can come and vent all you want about the officials, and it's in Spotify Green Room where we talk music, sports, and culture live. We do it all. Download it on the App Store. Get it on Google Play. You can get in here. You can sound off. You can give your opinion on these things. 
It's terrific stuff with Spotify Greenroom. You can grab the mic. You can take control and, and say exactly how you feel about the refs, about whatever. Uh, you can get in here and have those conversations. You can follow Pewter Report. You get the notifications live when JC goes live to talk about all the things that JC loves to talk about on there. And we'll be doing some. We'll try and do something this week uh, for a free agency on there on Spotify Greenroom. If we get some, a chance to this week, we'll jump in there and have a session and see how many of you have followed us since the last time we've been on there. So download a follow Pewter Report uh, and you'll get notified when we go live on that format. Um, Casey, a couple things we want to mention before we sign off today. A couple of the reasons why we think, on top of what we just said, that most of the Bucks' negative issues we believe are really fixable. Some coverage questions, we'll see. Some questions with the pressure and why it's not getting there. That one concerns us, but they're getting healthier. Penalties will regress. I believe in, in the data that Joseph's penalties will regress eventually. I think tackling and finishing on sacks just happens. I think some of it's luck. I think some of it they need to clean up, but you know, rarely is one team so much worse than another in that area that it actually ends up you know, being the difference maker in them winning in the playoffs or something. I'm a little bit worried about the neutral pass rate. I am that, that situation, the, the situations that they're not throwing the ball enough on first down. I don't think it's enough to derail them, but in a big game in the playoffs, I do think it could really hurt them. Um, so two things we're really kind of worried about there. We'll see about coverage as they get healthier um, moving forward, but most of the issues are fixable. Most of the issues will get better. And here's the other reason not to be worried about the bucks. Some of the most important factors in whether a team is good or not or successful or not year to year is the play of your offensive line and the play of your quarterback. Those, right. in my opinion, have been the best two units on the Bucs team this year. The offensive line and the quarterback have been elite. Top of the league in both areas. You could argue number one in both areas in terms of their play this season. That's how good they've been. That continues for the Bucs as long as their weapons stay, and their weapons stay healthy as well. Those guys have been great uh, this season, much better than last year. I just think it's still going to be hard to beat this team if they can be average defensively. They have to get to that point. Yesterday was abysmal. So can yeah. I get back to average? When they've won this year, the defense has been average or better. Offense has been has taking care of business in most every game this year. Patriots came being the one where they really felt like they were shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, I think that's got to be the key for this team moving forward is can, can they get to average defensively and sustain it? I would agree. It, it definitely comes – down to the defense. I'm not too worried about the the neutral zone because I think that, you know, Tom Brady's the kind of person who's going to obviously create that change there or, you know, mm -hmm. demand that that be changed sooner rather than later. My only fear of leaving it up to the defense just getting average is that, um, you know, the Bucks have done well with putting points on the board, but they – you don't want to put it all on an average defense and then the offense isn't scoring as much as they need to. Yeah. Is, it would be my only concern there, but I feel like, you know, they thrive off of one another as well. So the biggest concern would it right now, all in all is the defense. They just have to yeah. figure out things. They've got to do better with coverages. When these healthy guys come in, they've got to see how they're going to gel and move forward because it even seemed like the chemistry was off. You know, they weren't the same defense, even though they have all the same people mm -hmm. last year, they haven't had the same, explosion they haven't had the same fear and effect on on other teams for some reason so if there was a way to find that core group again having that core group when the injuries you know when people return from injuries then mm -hmm. that would probably give me the most security that they're going to be fine down the stretch yep. Yep. but i agree 
Good points across the board. Let's talk about our friends at Pin Chasers, bowling, food, and fun. You can see the locations for their bowling uh, there that we that you have the birthday parties, team building, fundraisers, all of it. There's unbelievable specials you can check out at Pin Chasers as well. That food that they've got there, I'm telling you. Can't wait to get my family down there, jump into this. Also, the Pewter Report Bowling League. You can contact Matt Matera. Matt at pewterreport.com is his email address. You can send him an email if you'd like to be involved in the Pewter Report Bowling League. Check out pinchasers.net though. You can get down there. You can get yourself, get a couple lanes, bring the family down. There's an all you can eat pizza night. I think $11.99. There's all kinds of great stuff going on at Pinchasers. So check out what they've got going on. Get involved in the Pewter Report Bowling League. Come say hi to the Pewter Report staff. Bowl a little bit. Have a blast over at Pinchasers and one of their three locations that you can see there on the screen. So great stuff uh, from our friends over at Pinchasers. Casey, this week, we are off tomorrow on the podcast, but we are not taking off the bye week. We are grinders over at PeterReport.com, yes. and we're going to keep grinding. On Wednesday, everybody's coming on the show. We're doing a Peter Report roundtable show where we're talking about each Bucks free agent. There's like 50 of them. We're talking about all of them on the show, all the important ones, <laughs> um, and whether we think the player will be back next season or not for the team. It's mm-hmm. going to be a fun conversation. We're going to go roundtable and see – what everybody thinks about how the roster is going to look like after next off season, at least in terms of their current free agents, what they think the prognosis is for whether they'll be able to keep these guys long-term or not, or at least on the franchise tag uh, as could be an option for a couple of them. We'll have that conversation on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, Brad Spielberger from pro football focus comes on. He's the contract expert guy, the salary cap guy that told us last year. Yeah. The bucks can bring everybody back. It's possible. And we said, no way you're tripping dude. And then it <laughs> happened and he was exactly right. So he's going to talk to us about, how it can happen again this offseason. And so we'll look ahead to that a little bit. Uh, we'll dabble in some current buck conversation, obviously, but the team's going to be off. We're not going to hear from Arians for a couple of days. And so we'll try to talk offseason pretty extensively on the show on Wednesday and Thursday. So get geared up for that. You'll have a much better idea about the challenges ahead for the Bucks this offseason and free agency and whether they can survive them and keep this team intact or not. Uh, it's going to be good conversation with all of us oh, and then with should. our friend <laughs> yeah, Brad over at PFF. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm excited to to talk about that and get into some of that uh, this week as well. And we'll have content up on that on pewterreport.com as well. So it's going to be fun stuff going into the bye week. Stick with us and make sure you're checking out pewterreport.com. There's tons of great articles up there. Yes. So for myself and Casey Hudson, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you again on Wednesday for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. See Out. You.